It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 117 of the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the weight limit to my Polo Costa, Nick Braccia. It is good to be on with you, my friend. What's up, Stan? Life is motherfucking good. We just got off a card that was underwhelming, to say the least, but we do have, oh. I think, some stuff to look forward to in this upcoming card, especially once I get into the research a, a little bit, even though it's not a star-studded card per se. And that is all leading into the pay-per-view coming up the week after the weekend after this one, Nick. So that'll be, that'll be fun to dive into. Actually, I don't know if you know this or not, but according to my, the latest uh, sites and resources I've, I've seen, Glover Teixeira, Jan Blachowicz, is not a pay-per-view. That is That's a pay-per-view. Right. It's, it is the first numbered UFC that I believe is going to be on ESPN, ESPN Plus, uh, free TV um, yep. in ages. Maybe only the second one ever. But um, And then the week after is that it is the amazing pay-per-view on November 6th. Usman Covington, um, Rose, uh, oh my God, <laughs> who's, Rose, who's Rose fighting? Weili Zhang. Weili Zhang, jeez, Rose Weili yeah. Zhang. Um, you've got Chandler on that card, but uh, free, but for free, for free, or for what we pay for ESPN Plus, for for the people who pay for it, you've got Jan Blachowicz, Glover Teixeira, and Peter Jan Corey Sanhagen. That is uh, pretty good value right there. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's worth dropping the money on one pay-per-view for both of these cards two weeks in a row. Um, and yep. look, it doesn't make sense for it not to be a pay-per-view. Probably it'll probably garner more interest as a free card and segueing into that pay-per-view so i do think it's a good decision by the ufc so i I think from like the last card i don't know that we need to get into a whole lot of this very Uh, deeply but we like the norma dumont aspen lad fight wasn't fun to watch norma dumont basically kept her at the end of her jab consistently dropped like one right hand for every 92 jabs she threw basically kind of a vladimir klitschko performance by norma dumont who is at the heaviest division in the ufc as vladimir klitschko was the heaviest heaviest excuse me division in boxing so yeah just not a good night for aspen lad who didn't have an answer for just simply the jab and almost nothing else uh even when she you know seemed to have gotten into clinches and got top position in one round it it just wasn't enough she she wasn't able to execute and obviously, the controversy around her cornering is really, I think, what's more worth discussing than the nuances of this fight. What are your thoughts on this one, man? I had, well, I thought the fight was just ghastly, um, but I didn't have any any problems with it. She was deer in the headlights. She was not able to enact any uh, any game plan, and it didn't seem like she was she was trying very many things. So she, I don't know what she trained, but it certainly wasn't that. Um, you need a plan if you're going to be at that level. If you're going to be highly taught on the on the pay per view, I mean, I'm sorry, on the pound for pound list of women in the UFC, which she was um, in the in those rankings. Like, you got to have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. You know, I know that this was this was uh, a late fight because she she missed weight uh, previous to this. I think that I think that she had an idea of how she was going to do against potentially against bigger. Uh, bigger, stronger women, and she just—I don't know—she just froze. So I had, I had no problem with it. If I—if you do all the preparation, all of the investment, everything, and then your fighter's just frozen and not performing, um, at least like take risks, go out there and lose, get knocked out. Like I mean, I know you know I don't want to wish anyone head injury, but like 
tr- do what you can to win. This is your livelihood on the line. And we we just it just it seemed like a stage fright performance to me. It was very weird. I have no problem. He wasn't cursing at her. He wasn't saying it was he was you know he was worked up and he was frustrated and he was trying to to light her fire. I don't know that anything would have worked, but I never thought he crossed the line over to his Misha Tate suggested abuse. Yeah, I think with Misha Tate, um, the impression that I'm getting in the follow up interview since she kind of made that bombshell of a of a of a statement during the fight essentially claiming that he like this is bordering on abuse it's not just like tough talk i think it's because of misha tate's relationship with brian caraway maybe there was some abuse involved in that relationship whether it be verbal or otherwise and it sounds like tate had found herself feeling that way feeling abused by caraway whether it be in the corner or otherwise and she kind of she kind of um projected that onto the Ladd-Jim West relationship. And it's it's similar in that Jim West is a significantly older guy, right? They've been dating for eight years, Nick. She's 26 years old, which means they've been dating since she was 18. I can't find his age anywhere, so I'm not sure how much older than she is he is. But do we only know that they've been dating since she was 18 because that's where it's legal to date her? Or like, have they been seeing each other leading up to that? I don't know, but... I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna speculate about that, man. Yeah, yeah, and, and that and, and that's fair. But what I'm saying is that like there there is kind of this is a common dynamic. This this coach and and fighter relationship dating is extremely common with male coaches and female fighters all the time. Um, Shevchenko's older sister, much less talented sister, is dating their coach, even though he's he could easily be like 15, 20 years older than than each or both of them. So this is a common thing, and Tate just kind of projected that onto this situation is what I'm understanding. Here's the thing. Jim West was talking tough to her. It's true. Um, Was it, like, is it necessary to to have that take at some points? Yes. To motivate your fighter? Yes. But obviously, if it's not working for five rounds, if you're given the exact same advice every every, um, break and there's no change in your fighter, try something else. It's the same thing that Aspen, that was the issue with Aspen Land. Aspen Land was doing the exact same thing every round and it wasn't working. She just kept doing the same thing. Jim West was guilty of the exact same thing, right? Ask her to land some fucking leg kicks on somebody who's throwing a bunch of jabs who's heavy on the front foot. Like any little nuance to throw your right hand over the top of her jab. Like clearly um, this was a matchup in which Norma Dumont is much faster. Has a, And I talked about her hand speed. I talked about the snap and her punches and that being a rarity in MMA but especially a rarity in women's MMA. And Aspen Ladd, I think part of it was that she was just overwhelmed. Like she couldn't, she didn't think that she could react quickly enough to that jab. She probably couldn't. She's not a terribly fast fighter. Um, On top of that, Norma Dumont was the bigger fighter. On top of that, Norma Dumont was preparing for a five round fight. And if I had to guess, I would think that Aspen Ladd was probably kind of pushed into, pressured into taking this matchup after uh, having to pull out a couple of weeks ago, I think the UFC just kind of put the pressure on her and they were like, you need to take this matchup or your next one's either going to be rough or you'll be cut. And like, this is what they do, right? Junior Dos Santos recently spoke about how he kept being told that by the UFC, either you take this matchup or you're being cut. So Aspen Lab probably took it in not the best mental frame. It wasn't a good time for her uh, in her career, given the, the boss weight cut and all that. And it resulted in this. Um, I think it was bad advice by Jim West. I don't know that he went overboard. If there's any other, other indication of abuse, maybe you can assert that but i think misha uh, tate was no i don't too far i don't i don't think so i think the co- i think the coaching could have been better but it also you know i th- i think he just couldn't believe what he was seeing so he should have he definitely could have pivoted and done more um but yeah i like i, I listen she like i just felt like she should have pressured more thrown even if she's not going to be fast just like throw first and try to get under that counter like so you can yeah. so the her only path to victory in this fight was going to be um, 
to to take her down and you at least you at least have to be attempting that true for the record i think she maybe had a puncher's chance too because she did just come off that knockout win but um like she had to try you're right Uh, i think fakes and fakes and feints were missing from her game in this one and leg kicks were missing like those would have been great answers to what dumont was doing because those fakes would have drawn out dumont's jab or counter cross which the cross being the slower punch would have given potentially lad the opportunity to counter with that left hook that she won her prior fight with so yeah i i think like the fault is absolutely on both sides and i also do think that jim west basically saying it's my fault i take full responsibility and then his next sentence was that might not be true like i yeah (laughs) you know MMA coaches are not always the, their own best PR people um, that is that is but, fair. Um, or necessarily then, even good people they're tra- you know they're training killers anyway that's true um, uh, like very very quickly through the rest of the card Olovsky looked great in the first round he was having a great time putting together five six strike combinations but uh, he certainly ran out of energy and let Carlos uh, Philippe back in the fight um, but I'm glad Arlovsky got the win he, d- he deserved it and he really looked he looked like he was having fun in that first and for half of the second round yeah, it sounds like it sounds like Philippe's actual trash talk motivated Arlovsky all the more, even when he was tired to keep trying. So Philippe's like Diaz mentality may have hurt him a little bit in you know otherwise a close matchup. But again, Arlovsky outcrafts these not super dangerous up and comers. Um, even if their cardio is in place, where where Philippe you know his, he has good cardio, he just doesn't have the craft and and the and the power to really take advantage right. of Arlovsky's holes. So so yeah. I'm, yeah, they I'm kept talking about his they kept talking about his big power, and I'm like, where's the evidence of this? He, he, he throws agree. like three he throws three hundred strikes a fight, and like he doesn't exactly. knock anybody out. Yeah, that, that was just like a, he's a big man, therefore he has power. Daniel Cormier logic. Uh, it, it, was, yeah. it was silly. I think it was DC who was uh, was it DC or was it Michael Bisping that was calling this card? I'm, I'm not sure at the moment, but uh, yeah. Outside of that, Jim Miller, man, good for him. Second round, first uh, win that in a fight that went past the first round in five or six years. Nick, uh, it had to be against the U- UFC debuting opponent who had no business being in there with him, which I guess is fair. Mano Firo, um, I-, I think she showed some human tendencies there. Yeah, I think if she could have yeah. brought uh, if she could have brought up like like everything she was doing was her first level, right? And usually, if it works, she can get a finish. But she never kicked it up. Like the first level was effective, but she wasn't able to finish. She never picked it up to actually get into finishing motor or put um, Myra Bueno Silva in a position where she can finish her. But you know, it's another win in the UFC. She is now three and zero in the UFC, eight and one overall. Maybe like her next matchup won't be against the top five or six opponent, like it would have been had she won in spectacular fashion. But I think that probably makes sense. Uh, do you have anybody in yeah. mind matchmaking wise for these two? Uh, well, first of all, let me just talk about Furrow, which was. You know, the, I just didn't feel like the precision was there. I felt like she just kind of approached it as a mauler. She was headhunting. She was throwing a lot. But there was none of that calm, cool, collected, like, composure and, like, murder shots that Shevchenko throws. So I, she has there's – there's a lot that she needs to tighten up and if, if we're going to see her contend for the title realistically uh, anytime soon. She needs at least three fights, and we need, we need to see um, a, lot, a lot more composure, some clear plan Bs, and um, – just picking her shots a little bit better. She was just, it was just, it was kind of like a, vi- a bit of a video game button spamming performance. Um, for next, what do you, what do you think for next opponents? I need to pull up the rankings. Um, so for Mano, it, it's tough because again, I, I, I want them to slow roll her. I, I think we're looking at like, uh, like bottom, bottom half of the top 15 as options for her. I would even say bottom third of the top 15. Um, let me see. This is at 115 or this is 125, excuse me. So yeah. I'm thinking somebody like, um, like there's a bunch of up and comers there in that bottom part of that division, but Andrea Lee would be like a stiff test. Matafari would be a stiff yeah. test. Um, like Lee has, a, Lee, has a fight, 
Lee has a fight coming up. I don't want her to fight Roxy. Like, we got to stop. Like, Roxy's <laughs> just getting, is getting, like, young beast after young beast. It would, um, I, I, you know, at this stage and in a division that's this lean, I don't, I know you have a problem with this. I don't mind prospect against prospect. I would, would put, put her, her I think against? her, and, I, I think her and Casey O'Neill are about at the same, like, level of progression. Like, let one, let one rise right now and let one figure out what they need to do to get there. Interesting. I would rather risk Miranda Maverick on the prospect list against Fiero versus Casey O'Neill. I think Casey O'Neil, she has a fight uh-huh. booked, but go, but go ahead. Well, she might, but I figure like if one of them wins in the next, you know, in the next uh, couple of weeks, then timeline-wise, it does. Yeah, uh, she's also it, it coming off a loss. Miranda Maverick but, is, yeah, true. A, a controversial one, granted. Which I didn't, think, I didn't Maverick, think she deserved, yeah. Yeah, well, but Maverick, you, you're right. She she probably deserved to win that fight. But Maverick is Maverick is um, like entrenched in that top fifteen at this point, whereas Fiero's not. So it would still be a step up for Fiero rankings wise, right? Um, I I would I would almost rather risk Miranda because Casey O'Neill's literally in her first like year or two of pro fighting. Nick as successful as she is. Like I would love for her to imagine if she had had six years of fighting behind her at the pro level. Imagine how good that girl could be. So I'm afraid that like she might get ruined. Her confidence might get ruined in a yeah. matchup that she's not ready for. And to be honest, maybe she she might just be ready for Fiero. I just I'm just so curious as to where Casey O'Neill can go given the attributes she has now. But um, the, no, oh, no you know, we, there with here's, okay. Here's two other picks that are around there that would be really interesting in testing Fiero. Uh, Montana De La Rosa is interesting, but also you've got on a three fight uh, win streak. Uh, in the UFC, I believe all those fights were is Tracy Cortez. So right there, it's like who's gonna who's gonna rise the uh, the prospect kickboxer or the prospect wrestler? That would be very very interesting to me. Yeah, the style matchup lends itself to this being like a co-main event on the UFC Fight Night. Uh, you know, two prospects. I'm I'm definitely more interested in that. Yeah, I think that works. Uh, and then you know what, Nick? He's finally done it. Nate Landwehr has finally made a fan out of me with his win over Ludovic Klein. He did just about everything right here. Um, he basically barely threw anything, a lot like Nate Diaz did against Conor McGregor in the first fight of their, the first round of their first fight. Barely threw anything against Klein, knowing that Klein has insane power early. He's extremely explosive early. And he, knowing that Klein is going to get less dangerous as the fight progresses if you can keep him busy. And Klein just kept throwing offense as Nate was right in front of him. Um, and, like, you know, you, you, you kind of want to do that as the athletic guy who can reach your opponent. You can't help it, right? And he just kept throwing, and Nate was fine defensively. And then when it was time to turn it up late in that first round, man, he started to put it on Klein and got him out of there. Second round, he almost had that anaconda choke, and then he ended up finishing it in the third round. And then a great post-interview uh, in the Octagon, his accent, his fucking personality. He's, he's a fun guy to watch. He's a fun guy to listen to. Um, and, you know, I, I knew this from his days in M1. So I, I'm excited that, like, he got this real signature win. This is a huge one for Nate Landwehr. And he's a guy that should not be underestimated with the kind of odds that, uh, that he was disrespected with leading into this matchup. Yeah, I mean, the fight was a lot of fun. We saw from clients something that we see with a, a lot of uh, precision kickboxers when they, when they first come in. They don't, uh, they don't quite know what to do uh, with, that, with that kind of pressure. Um, and they're looking, they're looking for, and they did call this out a bit, they, they are kind of like looking for that perfect shot. And Nate is a, he, he makes, he's going to make a fight exciting and messy. Um, and he, he's, he's a real MMA fighter. You know, he can, um, he can take the fight anywhere, and uh, da- you know, dangerous, uh, dangerous dude. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to see who he fights next. I mean, there are so many awesome matchups for him. I know we've got uh, Billy Quarantillo against Shane Burgos coming up. Um, oh, I'm all about it. on 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 November sixth, which is going to be great. Nate against the winner of that fight. 
yes. talk about. I mean, that's some excitement. I'm I'm absolutely there with it. Also, I wouldn't be terribly against Nate against the loser of that fight. I think it's excitement. Either yeah, it doesn't. Way, so yeah, I, Nate. I think great either, either way. I'm Thank into you. it. Uh, that's, Bru- that's Bruno why, Silva. Why they pay me the big money, Bruno Silva. <laughs> two two uh, two appalling rounds, and then he was like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, and and by the way, speaking of two appalling rounds, Bruno Silva, Andrew Sanchez. It's what I expected. Andrew Sanchez has more skill. Got the wrestling background, like he has a lot of those intangibles, but he can't help but be exhausted if he doesn't finish you early in the third round. He's exhausted. Every fucking third round I've ever seen this man in, he is exhausted. And Bruno Silva has too much power for Sanchez's chin. He's got too much staying power and like too much relentless relentlessness to be in there against a third round exhausted fighter and not win. And he did it, man. Finished him in the third round once Andrew Sanchez had nothing left, uh, which is almost exactly how I saw this fight going. So so um, that went about as yeah. I expected. Um, Danny Roberts picked up a pretty my, controversial oh, decision over. That was Ramazan my first Mia. pick. I lo- Otherwise, yes. I would have beat you. Instead, we tied for the week, so I made up no no ground of all this ground right. to make up. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you did I mean, get I mean, a bonus point last week, so I feel like that kind of that kind of makes up for it. But you're right; this should have been a the decision went for Ramazan Amiyev. Um, it, it, it was I obvious. A, I thought I, I thought Amiyev I was overall doing well on the feet ch- too. I got a charity. You did get a charity. Point point. Point. You, you did. And you I, I, needed don't, a I don't need your. I don't need your charity. Up. Yeah, he cut. He cut Danny Roberts' head, like head to like the skull. It was like one of the nastier cut shots I've ever seen. Yep. Um, when they posted it afterwards, but yeah, Emiev like should have won this fight. I mean, I don't have anything else to say about. Um, yeah, I, I don't think uh, we need yeah, to not, like get deep into any of the other fights on this card unless there's something. No, we no, discuss. except to say that ba- that that uh, Baccarel is for fucking real. I can't wait to see him fight again. There's so many exciting fighters at 135. Yeah, um, absolutely. And 135 I, is sure maybe the most stacked division in the sport right now. I, I'm so excited. I don't know who that. they're going to match him up with, but he's fan, he's fantastic. So we tied. Always fun talking about the, the cards. Too. I didn't have a bad time watching it until the main event, which was appalling. But, um, yeah, the UFC, not a good week. A bad card for them. Conor McGregor's beating up DJs. Francis Ngannou is out there saying that he's stuck in a contract and the UFC's treating him horribly and he's yeah. he and holding him hostage. You got Chigano talking about how he was held hostage as him and Paige Van Zant and Jorge Masvidal show up in pro wrestling. Um, you got John Jones, you know, still the we're waiting to see what's going to happen with that after he gets kicked out. He's no longer welcome at, at Jackson Wink. Um, just... Yes, it's a, the sport is cage fighting, but there there are yeah. people who are good uh, good representatives of a, of a competitive sport, real true sportsmen, in the uh, the way that Fedor Emelianenko was, in the way that attracted so many of us to to the sport, um, and just a bad PR week. Hopefully, the the two the next two weeks of great cards, um, well after this upcoming one, the follow the subsequent two weeks will really help um, sort of build up at least my passion uh, for the for the sport and the brand again. But when we know we're going to have to listen to a lot of Kobe, Kobe Covington, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I definitely hear that. Um, I will say quickly that I recommended four bets for this last card. They were on Ariane Carnelosi, Mano Fioro, uh, Bruno Silva, and Danat Batgarel. All four came through. And uh, Fioro, and I think one of the others, maybe uh, Danat Batgarel, I recommended uh, in parlays given the odds. But but all four of those hits, so I will have some bet recommendations in the next segment. Nick, let's take a break. Come back and break down UFC Fight Night. Who's the headline by again? Oh, yeah, Costa versus Vittori.
Back on the podcast for the MMA Geeks draft. Uh, you all know how this works. Nick and I take turns picking fighters competing on the upcoming card, tally up the numbers at the end of the week. Uh, we went three points apiece from last week, which leaves me with my 11.5 point lead, 106 of my points to 94.5 of yours as of today, Nick. So you do have some catching up to do by the end of the year, the end of the season. And by the way, we we discussed, given the scope of this card, to just do, uh, just do our draft with the main card. So it's only going to be those six fights. And then, you know, we can quickly break down some of the other matchups for you all. My first pick is going to be in the Alex Caceres-Sungwoo Choi uh, matchup. It's it's pretty interesting that like Caceres is on a, I think he's on a four fight winning streak, right? But it's against these like up and comers who largely unproven, right? They're, they're, they're not really, they're not experienced enough to give trouble to a guy as crafty, as experienced uh, as Caceres is while choice coming off of wins over Yusuf Zalal and Julian Rosa, which shows that he's a proven prospect who's kind of creeping up on contention. Um, I like Troy to make it past the level of gatekeeper uh, when it comes to this matchup. Troy is a larger athletic skilled striker who's adding experience and confidence to his toolbox. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he does against uh, step up in competition after this one. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also curious to see, I agree with your pick, but um, Bruce Leroy can make it interesting because he's got a beard on him. The dude he's, he's been in there with some hitters. This is a guy who lost a split decision to Yair Rodriguez. Yes. Five years ago, but um, it was still, it was, you know, still pretty impressive at the time. He doesn't, um, he doesn't really get finished, and uh, you know Choi Choi's a guy um, who packs you know who, who who packs a good shot. Ask uh, ask Julian Arosa about that. Um, so I had the same uh, this uh, the same pick. Um, Would this first... have been your first pick? Is my question. No, it was not going to cool. be my first pick. Go for it. Uh, my my first pick is actually in the co-main event. Uh, while I'm a big I'm a big fan of Ricky Glenn. And I think um, I think this is going to be a hell of a scrap, um, and I think the odds are a little crazy at minus three ninety for Grant Dawson. I think I think something like minus two fifty, maybe minus two ten, um, sounds better to me. But he's just a he's a I just think he's a powerful dude who's going to put the fight where he wants it, and he's just he's just a beast who hits who who hits really really hard when he gets on top of you and can choke and, and chokes a lot of people out. Um, so I think it's a good. I think it's a good matchup. I think it should be an exciting fight. Could end up being uh, fight of the night, but I see a, I see a second round TKO from Dawson here. Yeah, I don't necessarily know that I see a second round TKO. I actually think there's some underdog value on this matchup. Um, Grant Dawson is just like relentless pressure wrestler. Hasn't really developed his striking a whole lot, even though training under James Krause, you would think that he would. It also seems like Dwight Grant like kind of dies off a little bit in that second round before picking it up again and catching a second win late in that Wait. round or into the third round. Wait, um, you mean Rick Glenn? You just said Dwight Grant. I'm sorry, I meant Grant Dawson. The, the Grants are confusing okay. me. Uh, Grant yep. Dawson uh, kind of slows okay. down a little bit in that second round before coming on strong again in the third. And let's face it, he looked very human in his uh, last fight in which he had to have a comeback knockout win, right? He, he wasn't doing too well in that matchup against a 42-year-old Leonardo Santos. Rick Glenn is the kind of guy that, like, first of all, he's a wrestling background, so... On paper, he could defend some takedowns, even though he hasn't been taken down uh, several times in the UFC. Recently showed new power, right? Throws knees and and strikes up the middle, which could bother Grant Dawson as he's shooting in. And Rick Glenn is the kind of guy that once he switches the momentum to his favor after that first round, he doesn't let it go. He does serious damage, and it takes the heart out of fighters. Grant Dawson's got a lot of heart. He's got a lot of the intangibles, but I could see that being a, a path uh, for a win for um, 
for Rick Glenn here, especially at these odds. I think there's underdog value on Rick Glenn, so this is a bet that I'm recommending. Uh, half a unit, I wouldn't drop the 100 on him, maybe $50 on this matchup, but I, like at these odds, these odds are insane. There's definitely value there. Um, I'm going to edge toward Grant Dawson because I think he's just relentless and a young kid who's not necessarily going to uh, be bothered too much by the damage and, and you know as the, the tide might start to turn. But I would not at all be shocked if Rick Glenn walks away with a kind of comeback win in this one, as he's done several times in the past. My next pick is going to be... I'm going to go for the main event, Nick. I'm going to take Marvin Vittori to beat Paulo Costa. Um, both are large, strong pressure middleweights. Both were kind of hypnotized by Israel Adesanya's feints. Costa was afraid to throw, and Marvin was unable to land, even though he tried. Costa was knocked out and blamed it on wine. Vittori lost kind of a lopsided decision and declared himself the winner and better fighter somehow. Vittori's inability to admit defeat is, I think, helping him in that he probably didn't lose a lot of confidence from getting schooled by the champ. Costa seems to have gone near the deep end, if not off of it, since then, right? First, he got knocked out without landing a punch against Adesanya. Then he got sexually assaulted on pay-per-view as he was gathering his wits after that knockout as Adesanya did his weird dog-humping thing. Uh, if he followed that up by blaming the bad performance of having for having drunk an entire bottle of wine the night before the biggest fight of his career, he then had a public spat with the UFC because they, were paying, they weren't paying him enough uh, following the worst performance of his career. Now he insisted on making this uh, middleweight bout a catchweight fight at 195 um, because there's no way he can make weight. And then even though they agreed to that 195, he ended up then still pushing it up to 205 literally today, Nick, as we're recording this on Friday. It's possible that not having to cut down to 185 will allow him to have more power, uh, cost that is. Um, maybe more cardio than two rounds as as we've seen in the past, right after the second round, it gets kind of tired. Um, because he doesn't really manage his energy well, but Vittoria has several things in his favor. One, he doesn't feel humiliated, right? Just isn't incapable of feeling that, and he wasn't humiliated by Adesanya. He has a stone chin, so the odds of him getting knocked out early are not super high. He doesn't get tired despite his high output. Um, Costa has the power edge, and he'll probably be the bigger man. Costa started his career as a grappler, and he's a black belt, but he doesn't really use it a whole lot. So I like Vittoria to go through kind of two exciting rounds before taking over in the third. Depending on how tired Costa gets, we might just see a rare case of Marvin Vittori's finishing uh, a fight. Again, also possible that Costa walks in there with unbelievable power wing as much as he does, and he might just clip him despite his good chin. So it, it could yeah. go the other way, but I, I like I like uh, the favorite here. He weighed in at a at two oh four and a half today. Um, I I don't know about this one. Like I neither of these guys are particularly likable. I um, I don't. We haven't seen uh, we haven't seen Marvin really get hit a lot. And, and hard um, and I can see the kinds of blitzes that Costa brought in his earlier fights he's also not the most mobile guy in the world um, I think Vittori can be can be pretty uh, hittable but he's he uses his pressure he's a big he's a big strong guy and is the he hasn't fought the kind of uh, striker that Costa is Adesanya Adesanya is frankly more is more careful he's more strategic like, I don't know, um, I see that, especially in the first couple of rounds, there's a real chance that Vittori's chin is going to get, is going to get tested. Um, and I don't know if he, I, coming in at this big size at 205, I mean, the, the weight, the, this happening a light heavyweight fight really makes it very difficult for me to pick. I, I do think Marvin has uh, probably better, uh, better stamina. I think, um, 
if he can get if he can get the fight on the ground and weigh and weigh on Costa or maybe push him up against the cage, but I'm not sure. I just don't know. I don't know what size these guys are going to be when they get in there now. So I was a fairly confident Vittori pick before, but now that the fight's a light heavyweight fight, essentially on Costa's terms, while Vittori did go through a lot of the weight cut to get himself ready for 185, it's really a coin it's really a coin toss for me. But I'll go with for the sake, you know, I'll go with Vittori, but I could see this being making Costa even more of a heel that he comes in, he gets the fight, he gets to dictate the terms of the fight by virtue of weight, and then you know wins a late heavyweight fight against a middleweight contender. Um, so I, I think I think either thing could happen, but I'll go, I also with, think I'll go like, with Vittori, but I don't feel confident about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously I'm in agreement, but I also think like we could be seeing the unraveling of Costa. Like shit's not okay in his head, clearly. Like. His logic and reasoning is clearly off the rocker. Like, he's talking like a crazy man, claiming to have drank an entire bottle of wine because he couldn't sleep the night before a title fight, uh, like, insisting that this go up by 10 pounds, and then still not even making that fucking weight and coming in at 205, Nick. He said he was 211 early in the week. He hasn't cut any weight. Like, something is, like, things are not okay. Like, the, the guy's definitely off the rocker, and we could just be seeing, like, the complete downfall of that guy. Um, we could. could also walk away with a quick knockout because he weighs 300 pounds. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, weird situation. A lot of question marks, which makes it intriguing, I think. I think this adds, like, some in- intrigue to the matchup that otherwise wasn't incredible. I think enticing. I think the fight shouldn't, I think it shouldn't happen. I think if even at 205 if he if he weighs anything over 210 walking into the cage it shouldn't happen but that's just my opinion yeah but uh, unfortunately like we're dealing with a pair of dumb jocks and i don't think that marvin vittori is like smart enough or clear-headed enough to be like this is bullshit i think he's the kind of guy like i don't care if you weigh 300 pounds i'll get him which is a good mindset to have for a fighter but that's when a coach's good judgment i think comes in um and and uh, we're not seeing a whole lot of that here your second pick my friend I'm not sold uh, that she's a better fighter right now than she was at Syndicate, but I'm going to pick Jessica Rose Clark uh, over Jocelyn Edwards. Edwards, like last fight, her defeat was, um, you know, against a good fighter in Carol Rosa, but uh, who just, who just pieced up Beth Cahaya, if I'm remembering correctly. But um, I think I still liked where I was seeing uh, in Jesse Clark, Jesse, or Jesse Jess before she, uh, hurt her knee in her in her last win, um, so but I I, th- I think that she's going to ha- bring a lot of veteran savvy to it, and I I just see her scoring more points, probably a twenty nine twenty eight decision uh, decision win. I just think this is a this is a case of a crafty veteran who I think is going to be able to do enough. Yeah, I mean both these girls I would say are veterans. Both I would say are pretty crafty. Edwards has good striking and pretty decent Brazilian jiu jitsu. She's also the bigger fighter in this matchup, but her mediocre takedown defense and kind of the willingness to stay on her back when she is taken down is not a good combination, I think, against Clark. Clark should walk away with a competitive decision here, but if Edwards can keep this on the feet, I think she has a solid shot at a win since Clark has lost to kind of bigger, more physical fighters in the past. Like Clark, you know, lost to Kanzad, who isn't like super athletic or dynamic, but she's bigger and stronger, and I think that was a big part of the reason she lost that matchup. Um, And also keep in mind that Clark has a win over Sarah Alpar in her last matchup, kind of ravaged her, just destroyed her, and uh, Edwards has a loss from a couple of years back to the same fighter, to Alpar. So, you know, not a good indicator for, I think, the wrestling matchup in this one. Um, my... Yeah, the other thing I would say is you look at the, the, the all the times in the last four years that um, that Jesse Jess has lost, it's like Penny Kanzad, who it turns out is really good. 
Jessica I, who's a perennial contender. And if I remember correctly, I thought that Clark should have gotten that decision, or it was very, it was closer than uh, unanimous decision may lead one to believe. And before that, it was the Sarah Kaufman, who was, you know, for real, so, who is, was, was, you know, was a real contender for a long time. Um, so I, I think this, I just think that the Clark's a level is a level up here. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a there's a fair chance. Um, although she's like not really elite, there's there's a fair chance. I do agree with you, especially given the wrestling yeah, matchup. She's seven. She's seven years older too, which you know I don't know how to rate that. Yeah, that is actually that is actually an interesting point. Um, I'm going to make my next pick in the Nicolau Nicaragamanuana Iquil and Villanueva uh, matchup. Um, I just feel like this is probably the lowest. It's got to be the lowest skill overall uh, matchup on the card. Nikolai looked better in his second UFC fight and won kind of a close one against Alexa Kamor. He's a pressure fighter with, like, he's got power, got strength, not much technique, though. But there were cardio and technical improvements in his UFC return than in his first fight. Um, Ike Villanueva is legitimately terrible. Like, not much heart, not much durability, <laughs> not a like good gas guy. tank. He yep. hits kind of hard, I guess. I like uh, Nick uh, Mitanao to win this one via via knockout. I, I, I just I, I think Velenov is just that much lower quality of a fighter. He's he's also a guy that could be like winning a fight and then take one strike and give up all hope. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I approach life. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> oh boy, that, that leaves us that leaves us with one, huh? Yep. This is, and this is like in this Francisco yeah. Trinaldo. And this is a real pick'em here. It, the question for me, neither of these guys is spring chicken, right? You've got a 43-year-old against a 37-year-old. We also have Trinaldo, who's, like, moved up in weight now. And, like, how, you know, how competitive can he be against, like, a giant monster, even though the giant monster is less experienced? It's, like, it's like an interesting dynamic for a couple of reasons, I think. Yeah, it is. But I, I think overall that Tr- – I think Trinaldo's just the I think he's the – I think he's the better fighter. And that he'll be able uh, that he'll be able to craft it out. Yeah, um, I, I tend to I tend to think you're probably right about this one. I actually have more confidence in Trinaldo, despite the size difference. Um, given the odds, minus one thirty, I think it's a good betting opportunity. Man, he comes through way more often than not. And Dwight Grant's two wins in the UFC are like really bad decisions. That's like kind of how he either either he knocks you out in the first round or he wins terrible decisions that needs the judges right. to come in on his behalf. And, so, and yeah, he always I'm he's just he's a win he's a friggin' winner too. I mean he's Trinaldo's he fight he fights so often, um, and he's over the last couple of years like against Alexander Hernandez and, and Muslim uh, Salikov. Those are both guys that I I think we picked to beat him. Um, or, or we maybe, yes, we picked to beat him, but he and he lost. But they were very, they were much closer than I thought they would be at the time. I, I think he's a, I think he's a tough dude. I think he's got a lot of fortitude, and uh, it's gonna, you know, eventually he's just gonna get too old. But some, some of these Brazilian guys, you know, I don't think, I don't think Francesco Trinaldo ages quite the same way that I do. Yeah, I think Trin- definitely. I mean, like he's got that like Yoel Romero genetic trait that allows you to just be incredibly muscled up in your 40s even though you're doing like explosive conditioning and that kind of thing for for fights all the time it like it's it's kind of crazy i think jose aldo might have a similar thing even though he's probably just barely hitting his mid-30s um so that'll be it for as far as our picks for the card nick uh now i quickly want to give um some breakdown since since i um since i delved into this card a little bit of some of the other matchups on this card so i'm quickly going to run through it and i'm curious to hear your thoughts the junior park versus gary uh, uh 
Gregory Rodriguez matchup. I'm like really intrigued by this one. Park is a, a sh like a sharp boxer with solid reactive takedowns, plenty of grit, and a lot of experience. Rodriguez trains with Sanford MMA, sharp striking, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but doesn't move his head much. It's the Iron Turtle versus Robocop. Is not only like a pair of good nicknames, but a great, I think, representation of what this matchup looks like physically. Park kind of has this turtle look to him. He's the guy at the bar that you would pick on after a few brewskis. And then Rodriguez, his nickname is Robocop, looks like he was chiseled from granite. He's a guy at the bar that you send a free drink to early on in case he has too many brewskis and, and eyes you later. Uh, Park has good hands, and Rodriguez's head doesn't move much, so I can see Park clipping him. But Rodriguez has more weapons standing and more power in his weapons. Park has solid wrestling when needed, but Rodriguez is really good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm going to pick Park because I like him more, even though Rodriguez is more dangerous. Um, also, how is Rodriguez? This is another guy. How is he still in his 20s? He's 29 years old, but he literally looks like he's at least as old as Joel Romero. He's got the leathery facial skin of a guy who's competed in 22 WrestleManias, if you ask me, man. Um, any thoughts on this matchup? Um, I, I like both of these guys. I just remember watching Park against in his last fight against uh, Stefan in Chukwi, just waiting for him to be like, like, kind of not not believing what I was seeing as he, uh, you know, as he uh, as he took over the fight, um, you know, I mean, don't count this don't count this guy out. You know, it's exactly the same thing. I you would have thought looking at the two guys that he was going to get mauled um, in his in his last in his last fight, um, but he he came back and came back and and was just he surprised the shit out of me. Um, so. I don't see any reason uh, why he won't do it again. So you've, you've got Park in this one as well? If I'm forced to, like, because I was just looking at the main card, I didn't go deep. But Yeah, yeah. no, that, that, that's totally fair. Um, and then we have the Mason Jones matchup against David Onama. Um, Onama's actually a glory fighter under James Krause. Combined 18-0 between his pros and amateurs. Kind of a pressure counter-striker. Um, Mason Jones is a young prospect who's lost a close decision to Mike Davis in his UFC debut, I think on short notice. And then um, Alan Patrick hopped it out of a fight, uh, in the middle of a fight with him after an accidental eye poke, after Mason Jones was just piecing him up. I think both guys are serious prospects. It's unfortunate, I think, that um, Onama's debut comes in on short notice. Mainly for that reason, I'm edging towards Jones. I think the odds are crazy here. But despite his talent, Jones has managed to go winless in two UFC fights, right? Onama has the explosiveness and staying power to keep Jones winless in the UFC. It's possible. After Onama has some moments early, I think Jones's pressure should start to tire him before Jones starts to take over. I'm hoping for a war and like a razor-thin split decision that leaves both guys in kind of the prospect pool here. Um, because I, I, think, I really do think both guys are, are super talented. What are your thoughts on this one? Um, this one I don't have too much to say, but the next one I've, I've got some thoughts on. I'm really curious what you've got to say about Jay Herbert and Kama Worthy. Oh, uh, you go first. Well, you've got Jay, Jay Herbert's been out of action for a while now, and you've got Kama Worthy coming off, I think, two losses, but he's got you've got a big puncher against a guy who's um, a good uh, kind of eclectic striker coming out of the UK, but who it seems it seems to be could be a little chinny. So... And you've got you've got Herbert as the favorite, and I can understand why. But like Worthy can throw, so I I think this is I think it's going to be I think this one's going to be exciting, and I don't think it's going to see the bell. But I mean, I, either either thing can happen. I think this is a don't blink fight. What do you what do you think? Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, a pair of glass cannons with maybe one of them being slightly stronger glass than the other. Worthy started his UFC career at 2-0 with two finishes, and Herbert started his UFC career 0-2 and got finished both times. 
And despite that, he's the favorite. Herbert is, right? Um, he won't have much to worry about defending takedowns take against Worthy, which I think is like a big style matchup advantage for him. Both guys have power, but Herbert has more craft standing and like just overall more tools, I think. Plus, Worthy has a really bad chin. I don't think his chin is questionable, man. It's convicted. And uh, Herbert is a little bit more durable, in my opinion, than his Worthy. You're right. Like, first couple punches might end this fight. But I'm, I'm going to go with a more well-rounded kickboxer, realizing that it's a real risk uh, given, you know, given Karma Worthy's overall craft. Um, and then we have um, Tabitha Reacher versus Maria de Oliveira Neto. Maria's tall and a good striker, but she can't handle being pressured, and Richie will pressure. I like Richie to get a decis uh, decisive win in this one after having to face Mino Fierro in her fucking UFC debut. Um, I, assume, uh, I assume you haven't heard of either girl, and I wouldn't blame you. And then we have Jamie Pickett versus Loriano Staropoli. Pickett will have a massive reach advantage, especially with Staropoli's recently moving up to middleweight. Um, Pickett can do damage when he's aggressive, but he's rarely pushing forward. He doesn't utilize his reach advantage, constantly letting smaller guys kind of in on him. So I think Staropoli's aggressive kickboxing and high-level experience should earn him a clear-cut win in this matchup. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He had a... What was his? He had a, oh, he had, he had the, that win. His last win was over Tiago Alves. That's right. That's um, right. Yes, yes. He's got yeah. Decision. He's got three. Yeah, he's coming off. He's on a three fight skid. So this will be, uh, this will be his last. I think either. I think whoever loses this fight is probably getting their papers. Yeah, um, I think that's probably likely. Uh, and then Jeff Molina, Daniel Lacerdo. Molina is a slow starter, but builds volume as the fight progresses. Um, decent defensive ground game. Kind of works his way up to his feet. Whereas Lacerdo is like young guy, fairly low experience and low level opponents lately, right? With a loss to like the one real opponent he's had recently. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Molina, who just is more proven, is able to get up if he is taken down. And the fact that he's gone deeper into fights and has the conditioning has me edging his way. Um, any any thoughts about that matchup at all? No, no. But um, I am curious about the Liviana Souza versus Ronda Marcos, one of the only... UFC fighters with an under 500 record. I mean, That's you just don't right. see it Randy a lot. Marcos is, yeah, you're you not kidding, not, man. I mean, she's fought, you know, she's really fought a, a um, some, she's fought some tough competition, but you don't usually see people hanging around that long once they've got more, uh, you almost true. never see a UFC fighter with more losses than wins. Um, yeah. You know, Sousa is, I mean, she's, she's pretty good, but she hasn't really, you know, she had that Brianna Van Buren fight um, that she got beat at, and then she beat Ashley Yoder, who I don't think is in the UFC anymore. I could be wrong. Um, before getting, like, just totally housed um, by Amanda Hemos. Like, Which I, everybody gets housed by her. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm, I don't have a lot of conviction that, that Rena Marcos can win in the UFC. Uh, based on what we've seen over the last couple of years. So I'm going to, I think Sousa is probably uh, going to get her here. Yeah, it's interesting because Sousa has been kind of an underachiever lately, and Marcos has a history of being an overachiever earlier in her UFC career. Both seem like they're kind of on the downslide, but I'll pick the more consistent Sousa. I think like if she just makes the effort for takedowns, she should be able to get them. She has a judo background, really good Brazilian jiu-jitsu from top position. And I don't know that she'll be out-athleted by random Marcos the way she had been in her last many matchups. Marcos also has questionable cardio, depending on, you know, whether she's put in enough time to that training camp in particular. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. Then we have Jonathan Martinez versus Zviad Lazishvili. Um, so I assume it's Zviad given how um, how they've been pronouncing Dawashwili's name lately. So 
Ziad is like an aggressive power grappler, bullies you into giving him submission openings, just like pounds on you until you give him a position that allows him to finish, essentially. Um, Martinez, a sharp striker, fairly durable, opportunistic finisher, but not really reliable to just keep winning with any consistency. Martinez had a fight camp, which is the main reason, I think, to pick him versus uh, Zuiad, who like took this fight on literally a day or two notice. But early in his UFC career, he had given up lots of takedowns, and Zviad is a grappling machine. I think Zuiad's higher talent and higher ceiling will uh, bring him to a decision win in, uh, I should say a decisive win in this one. I wouldn't be shocked if this is a finish. This kid seems like a real, real uh, prospect and another guy coming out of Georgia who, you know, we've got so many, so many serious prospects from that country. You ride, you ride Georgia like I ride Dagestan. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I, <laughs> that's I, so true. Yeah, I, I was so big on Jonathan Martinez with that those two victories that he had, but he got, he definitely got uh, wasted by 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 Davy Grant and now finds himself in the, uh, you know, as a curtain jerker, um, yeah. to a potentially dangerous guy. So. Yeah, you're but, not kidding. I'm, I'm I'm quickly gonna go through Nick my um, my betting recommendations for this one, given like the recent success over the last handful of cards. Uh, I recommend a straight bet on Francisco Trinaldo at minus one thirty. He's absolutely worth it. I think he's the more skilled, more durable, more proven fighter. I recommend an underdog bet on Rick Glenn, who the odds are just way too wide in this one. Glenn has power in his hands recently, super experienced, has a wrestling background. I think at plus three ten, he's worth putting if only like thirty dollars down to win, you know, around a hundred. Um, we have uh, Nick. Niccolo Nicaramo, he's minus 235 favorite over Villanueva. Don't put money on him on those odds, but might be worth putting like, I don't know, 20 bucks on him by KO on a prop bet, plus 220 on that. Not a bet that I'm serious about, so don't like put your life savings into it, but it's just like a throwaway that, you know, if you have 20 bucks, you don't mind ever seeing again. Uh, Marvin Vittori, minus 184. I think he's worth putting into a parlay or two given all the troubles with Costa. And then Jessica Rose Clark, I think she's worth parlaying as well at minus 174 over Jocelyn Edwards. Um, I think there's an opportunity with the David Onama uh, Mason Jones matchup at plus 385 value. I think put down $22 on Onama to win 100 in case he can spring the upset in that one. I think odds are way too wide considering he's 18 and 0 between his pro and amateur career and trains with a really good team. Uh, I like a bet on Steropoli uh, in a parlay, minus 225. I think you can put him in there with one of my other parlay suggestions like Jessica Rose Clark. Uh, we have a straight bet, I think, on Zuiadla Zishvili. I think if this was, if he had a full training camp, he would have been a decent sized favorite here. Minus 125, it's worth springing some money on him. I think that line will probably move further in his direction. I recommend Jeff Molina, a straight bet on him at minus 158. I think that's worth it given the style matchup. Um, a prop bet on Karma Worthy, who's like a decent sized underdog. Plus 270, Karma Worthy by finish. That guy finishes every fight he's in, and Jay Herbert has been finished twice in a row. Definitely worth, you know, plopping down, I don't know, 20, 25 bucks to, to, to make two and a half times that amount. And then um, that's that's it for the betting, Nick. I'm, I'm, not taking, uh, I'm, not, I'm not taking flyers on the Sousa and Marcos matchup or the Park Rodriguez matchup, but definitely a lot to look forward to in this one. Any thoughts on any of those bets? Uh, just to, I, it's irresponsible for me to do that with my money. I think given the kind of bet recommendations you've made in the history of this podcast, you are spot the fuck on, Nikolai. It would be irresponsible yeah. of you to put any money down on <laughs> that stuff. Uh, so like you said, next week, UFC 267. The week after, UFC 268. So definitely like definitely some stuff to look forward to. We're, we're going to see for free. I mean, Yan versus Sanhagen 
for free. Fantastic, Nick. Teixeira versus Blachowicz is definitely worth headlining a card. Uh, Makachev versus Dan Hooker is a good matchup. We're going to see Volkov Tybura. Kamzat Chimaev is coming back on this free card. Super prospect Magomed Ankalaev is on the card against, you know, uh, against uh, Volkan Ozdemir. Like, really a lot. Amanda Hebos. Amanda Hebos yeah, against the crazy-ass killer. This is like, this is a fun card. You know what else 15, we have, Nick? We, we have a gentleman named fights. Albert... We have a gentleman named Albert Durayev on this card, and Nick, that's damn near my last name. I mean, I don't know how good this guy is at 14-3. and three. Name sounds familiar, but is this somebody that could get on my docket as one of my favorite fighters, if only because of his last name? Is it possible? It is. It really is. Nothing on that? You're just uh, gonna I, I'm, look, I'm, lo- I'm, looking for, I'm looking up and down the card for anyone who's got a name like mine, and I don't see anybody. <laughs> Fair enough. By the way, Magomed <laughs> Mustafaev, by the way, is on this card as well. He's super exciting. And Tagir Ulanbekov uh, is on as well. Dude, a bunch of like names. Like lots Maybe every matchup is not perfect, and some of the matchups are fantastic. You're right, lots of Ruskies. Where is that team? I mean, it's, well, it's, it's an Abu Dhabi card. Yeah, that makes sense. And UFC 268 is in MSG, Nikolai, in our backyard. Do you have a connection? Well, with we the- get to see this card? Nick, can we pick up uh, some COVID from, let me, let from me th- 18,000 rapid it. fans? But what I, it's funny that you mentioned it though, because of the, I think there might be some some very canny planning from the UFC here. The uh, the Russian vaccine, Sputnik Five, I believe it's called, is not, um, but yeah, is not uh, approved, an approved vaccine for oh, uh, as far as as far as the U.S. is concerned. Uh, so they may, so there may they may be doing a lot more Fight Island fights because there are so many. Uh, Fighters from from Russia and Eastern Europe who may not, um, you know, who may not be able to get in here. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. That makes perfect sense. Not only that, but a lot of these Russian uh, kind of Russian fighters are Muslim, which makes sense in you know in a, in a country um, like Abu Dhabi. So it, it's kind of a catch twenty two. You don't have a lot of uh, Middle Eastern fighters on the UFC roster, but you have a bunch of Muslim fighters, and why not you know put them on a card? country where they, they're going to get kind of a home advantage kind of thing and, and plenty of interest presumably, right? So that makes a lot of sense to me. Nikolai, let's call it on this episode. I've got to run. I'm sure you do as well. Looking forward to talking about all this next week. Yeah, talk to you soon, my friend.